It's October 11th, 2017, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's science, technology, and innovation. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up, we're going to talk to Forrest Rizal about the upcoming Purple Prize Demo Day. And then we'll hear from Major General Arthur Logan and Everett Kanashige about a high-speed broadband communications network for first responders called FirstNet. But, of course, let's welcome back to the show Forrest Rizal to talk about the upcoming Purple Prize Demo Day. Forrest, it's good to see you. Aloha, gang. It's great to be back. Welcome Thanks for back. having us. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of stuff with uh, Purple Maya and, of course, uh, Purple Prize. Uh, we both you know, love the, the uh, format, especially going down to the uh, Kaniwai Lo'i and Getting you know, getting knee deep in mud. <laughs> yeah, not too many hackathons uh, yeah. put you in that position. So for those who are unfamiliar, thirty second background on this Purple Prize and its relation to Purple Maya Foundation. Right. So uh, uh, you know, Purple Maya is a opportunity for our Keiki to get involved in technology, but in in a different way, where we try and incorporate as many. Um, in, in many indigenous kind of uh, technologies that exist, and how, how do you pull these things together um, in you know contemporary and and ancient and and create things that um, are are well rounded for our community? So out of that, we you know we've we've seen in the headlines lots of negativity. I think in the tech industry, there's been um, these kind of sexism and um, in the workplace, you know, big blow up at Google recently and Uber. And I think this idea of social media being this thing to just generate revenue um, and not so much for the intention, which I I believe is to build community. And Mm -hmm. and so we saw this as an opportunity to, um, you know, a, a kind of a call for action for us to bring people to the table with a different viewpoint. And, um, and so that's what we did. Now, the idea behind Purple Prize uh, kind of was based around the hackathon idea, but you've taken it to another level in terms of having a longer period of time to get people to not only work on projects, but you've had uh, some mentorship opportunities and some lecture opportunities. I mean, tell us about the the pathway from the start to now, which is coming up the uh, demo day. Yeah, the whole idea is to bring people together to, you know, hana, to work before you learn. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, getting in the mud and the lepo at the lo'i is a really great way. When, when you're dirty, you're the same as anybody else, right? Um, and it's it's a good way to break down barriers and, and get people connected. Um, and then we we allow people to form teams through that method, and then we give them the summer uh, to work on their programs. Mm-hmm. And and through that, we bring in mentors and we assign mentors to each team. Um, and and so it's kind of a growth opportunity for everybody involved. Mm-hmm. So can you preview some of the ideas that were pitched just broadly? And we can't ask you to pick your favorite, obviously. But what can we look forward to as they begin to prepare to demonstrate what they've built? Right. Yeah. There's some really cool stuff. So people using sensors and IoT technology to uh, work in in our fish ponds and our local ia. Uh, and there's been a lot of interest around place based mo'olelo type applications applications that can give stories and ideas and, and educate people on uh, based on where they are, uh, what's the significance of, of that aina, of that land. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a couple of things coming up, and also there's a, a little bit of a twist because there are a couple of tracks, right? 
that people are qualifying for in terms of the demos and the pitches that they're going to do. Could you explain that? Right. So there were some there were some folks that are connected to us that we knew were kind of in flight working on some ideas that fit within the mold of what we're looking for. Uh, and then we knew that there were people that were going to generate their own ideas out of out of the kickoff day. And so we've developed two tracks with Purple Prize, mm-hmm. so an in-flight track um, and something that was incubated out of the event. Uh, and so we'll be, you know, they'll be judging on uh, – there'll be essentially two winners. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then uh, <clears throat> have you – figured out like what the sort of prize structure is given you know like the in-flight and the you know the actual originals original uh projects yeah we i mean it's exciting we have five figures in cash um for for prizes and we have a bunch of in-kind stuff from Mm -hmm. um you know legal services if if people really want to take this to the next level uh amazon um amazon in kind so yeah lots of awesome opportunities to continue to grow the idea Mm -hmm. and then uh in terms of the actual uh, the pitch and then the the there's going to be kind of like two pitch days, right? I mean, one is going to be to whittle down down to sort of like the finalists. And when does that happen? Right. So the the first event is on Thursday, October nineteenth. It's at the Vivi Collective, which is mm. that circular building that's kind of across the street from Pucks Alley on University Ave. And that's the pitch day. That's where all 12 teams are going to come down and pitch their ideas in front of our judges. And that's kind of a pauhana. Um, we're going to have really ono food, and it's an opportunity to be a little bit more intimate and talk story with all of the team members. Mm-hmm. And is that is that event open to the public for – you know, for everybody to partake in? Yes, it's it's totally open. All we ask is that you RSVP um, because we are going to be serving food, so we want to have a good head count there. And I know that uh, the food that Purple Maya and Purple Prize have is always right. Yes. We pride ourselves on the food that we order. <laughs> We've had some just incredible like emu food and uh-huh. amazing barbecue. So, yeah. You're we, making me hungry. <laughs> we like to eat. <laughs> so after this uh, demo day next Thursday uh, on university there, what's ahead? What can we look forward so to? So then on Saturday, October 21st is, is the big event. It's the demo day. And so we're going to have some roundtable discussions. Uh, we'll have the top teams pitching and we'll do the big review reveal on on who who won and so you know the cool thing about demo day is we we liken it to a first birthday luau where we have music and kids running around we encourage you to bring your kids uh and we really want it to be kind of family oriented and fun and and this idea that it it doesn't have to be this like this Mm. competition (laughs) It's, it's it's actually fun so where can someone go to find more information to rsvp as you greatly want people to do to participate right so the october 21st event is at uh west oahu and so if you go to purpleprize.com mm-hmm. uh you uh, we, you can find the event event brights for both of those days and those are both free and you know in terms of learning about these cool projects i mean would you recommend one or the other or both no i i, I think both are going to be amazing i think if you're really interested in, in wanting to get to, to know the teams a little bit better than the thursday palhana event especially if you're in town Mm-hmm. But if it's the, the the demo day event is really spectacular. Plus, we we're gonna have some fun roundtable discussions. We're gonna make it really interactive, uh, and you know the food. Come for the food. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Sounds very good. Boris, it's a great pleasure having you back. We hope you'll tell us about the next round. 
Uh, well, th- again, awesome. Thank you for the support. We love coming in here, and I uh, hope to see you guys uh, on either the 19th or the 21st. Sounds good. Thanks, Forrest, for joining us. Thank you. And of course, we'll take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by Major General Logan and Everett Kanashige. Talk about the first knit. And of course, this is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Inter Island Solar Supply, Kaiser Permanente, and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. I became aware of public radio first when I was in graduate school. I was a very fast fan, and from that point on, every place that I've ever lived, I seek out the public radio station on the radio dial, even if I'm vacationing someplace. And if there's any drive involved, I'm looking for the public radio station where I go. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. And, of course, welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. Now joining us in the studio, we've got Major General Logan and Everett Kanashige. General Logan, is uh, he's the appointed adjutant general. Uh, let's see. Um, and that, was happen- that happened back in January 1st, uh, 2015. As adjutant general, he oversees the training and readiness of 5,500 soldiers and airmen of the Hawaii National Guard. And uh, Everett, meanwhile, is the statewide interoperability coordinator. Yes. Correct? And we have them both here in the studio. And, of course, how did FirstNet come about and what did it take Hawaii to join with all the other states in the uh, sort of nationwide network deployment? Welcome to Bite Marks Cafe. Oh, thank you. Aloha. Nice to be here. Same here. Now, I will start with General Logan and kind of give us a little bit of history of where did this sort of FirstNet come about? So the first net uh, actually came about in 2012. Uh, Congress up in Washington D.C. Uh, passed the uh, Jobs Act, and out of that Jobs Act was the uh, Nationwide Public Safety Broadband Network, which is actually something that came out of the 9/11 Commission, when law enforcement, police, and uh, law enforcement, fire, and ambulance EMS services were responding to. Uh, the World Trade Center and the Pentagon mm. uh, disasters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and they. Uh, the cell tower, cell systems, the uh, broadband internet systems were overloaded. And so communications went down, basically, for almost anyone that wanted to use communications. And so this is a concept for, for our first responders, police, fire, EMS, and other emergency management, to be on their own network system uh, that allows strictly for them uh, their priority on the network so they can talk. Mm-hmm. During a disaster, certainly, even in Hawaii, we've seen, for example, during the recent—not uh, recent, but earthquake—a few years ago, just when everybody's on the phone, everybody's phone stops working. And another thing that uh, Bert and I have covered on this show is, of course, how amateur radio operators can participate in everything. But there is certainly a need for a sort of com- converged data and voice and everything kind of network for first responders. So, I see we you explained how it kind of came about. What are the technological building blocks of this network? So FirstNet, uh, back in uh, 2015, 2016 timeframe, put out a, a request for proposal, RFP, and uh, a- uh, AT&T and another organization uh, responded to the RFP and bid on the project, and AT&T was awarded the project and is now building the FirstNet uh, construct 
nationwide broadband system. And it's not just the United States, but the 56 states, territories, and District mm-hmm. of Columbia, even as far as American Samoa, uh, um, Puerto Guam, Rico. Puerto Rico, CNMI. And as you saw, Puerto Rico, they had uh, almost 90% of all its communication cell towers gone. And so how do we... Uh, how do we communicate in a disaster like that or after or post-disaster? So uh, they are responsible, AT&T is responsible for building out this network. Um, and so the governor of each state and territory has the option to opt in or opt out. If they opt in, the AT&T builds the network. And then the users will pay a, a fee like you, all of us pay every day for our phone, our personal phones. And so if you opt out, then you as a state need to build your own system and then you can charge the users a fee, uh, and that's how you would make your money back. But you'd have to come in with a large sum of money to build. So, you know, yeah. Everett, you know, I, I, I've known you, Everett, back when uh, uh, you were involved with the broadband task force with the DCCA. And, of course, I know you have a good uh, long background in broadband implementation and I would assume that that's how you got involved with this particular project. No, and that's exactly it, Bert. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where sometimes I step back and I marvel, you know, from that time where I first met you and I was sitting in this chair talking about <laughs> broadband, right? Broadband has come such a long way. I think we looked at it initially as, you know, primarily something that you you utilized in your house and you got you used it to connect to the internet, and you know you could buy things, and you could do some research, right? But the whole concept now of broadband has changed, right? It's that always-on being able to have ubiquitous communication um, between not only people but devices as well. And you know nowhere is that more important when you start to look at the big picture than in the public safety arena, right? FirstNet, as General Logan mentioned, had its genesis in the in the the lack of being able for different public safety responder agencies, frankly, to talk to each other. But that you know that was something that I think spurred the 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 concept. But nobody back then could understand that we were really moving into this mobile data. Um, transition, where not only is it a situation where people could t- needed to talk with each other, communicate via voice, but you would have mobile broadband data, you mm-hmm. know, um, body cameras, right? Telemetry from ambulances for, ho- for patients being taken to hospitals, firefighters going through buildings, being able to pull up building plans and seeing where they needed to go. You know, that's all part of the public safety broadband network, which is also a critical you know, components to allow first responders to respond efficiently and quickly. Mm -hmm. And a lot of what you're talking about is sort of what people do, what consumers do for fun. They might be streaming video, they might be exchanging large files, they might be engaging in, in chats and such, but it's something that you want to be to have available most importantly when it's critical and to first responders. And I think that, you know, history has shown many times a lot of these technology endeavors are driven by the consumer market, right? If you get a, uh, you know, a smartphone and you're able to do things like take photos and post them and do sort of real-time, quote, chat activities, well, wouldn't that concept, that being able to have real-time communications with pictures, with data, with feedback, with sharing the experience, 
that would be great in a public safety situation. And so you take that consumer model and you say, let's move it to public safety. Let's make it better where it will really, you know, have an impact. Well, you know, back when uh, we were both on that uh, broadband task force, we would never have thought that there were, would be drones potentially providing you know, real-time video streams of, of whatever aerial view they may be able to access. So, General Logan, in terms of the, the infrastructure, uh, you said AT&T put a, put a, a bid out. Uh, this is basically being kind of funded by the federal government. And, and to, what, to, to what degree is that? Correct. So Congress authorized uh, $7 billion for the first net uh, build-out, and now AT&T. So about $6.5 billion is going to go to AT&T mm-hmm. to build upon their current infrastructure, uh, this Band 14 network, and uh, additional cell towers and other things that we need to increase the state of Hawaii's uh, access to cellular service and data service uh, like AT&T. So uh, they're going to go out and build uh, new towers. And they're going to build out a complete new, not a complete new network, but expand their current network uh, into areas where they we currently don't have coverage. And that's basically for safety for our law enforcement, our fire and EMS, and other first responders. Mm-hmm. So you, I was about to ask, so it is in many ways sort of an extension of the current commercial AT&T uh, broadband data and voice network, but it's, it is it is segregated. Is it segregated in such a case that if AT&T customers were trying to all flood the lines and getting overactive, does that impact the performance of the first net first responder network on the AT&T network? Absolutely. It would in a large disaster, as you said earlier. Mm. Uh, all the traffic would, would push everyone off the net, so we, it would break down. So what you have now is you have priority preemption for for first responders. And that network, they have priority, and all the commercial service is preempted and pushed off to the, the more commercial service or the commercial service they have today. Uh, so the regular AT&T line would be uh, at a lower level, of the, and it would be transparent to all the users. They would have no idea what's going on other than they would not have service. I see. And then the first responders will stay on, and, and the priority is to keep that quality of service for our first responders during a disaster period. You also mentioned the mandate said that this network had to exist on a state-by-state uh, state basis. You could either, either as a state participate in FirstNet or build your own. Do you have an idea of what percentage or how many states are on board with FirstNet based versus going it alone? I think right now there's 26 states that have opted in, uh, and there are no states at this time that have opted out of the FirstNet construct. And so it looks like we'll, uh, out of the 56 states, territories, District of Columbia, it appears right now that everybody's heading toward the opt-in uh, build of this AT&T FirstNet uh, broadband system. I mean, that sounds like a really great boost for AT&T and their ability to perhaps have a more, let's say, you know, we all know sort of Verizon has a pretty you know, a good footprint, so it, it enables AT&T to maybe equal that. Is that is that a true statement? Well, I don't know if if it's so much a question of of uh, equaling it, but I I think the way a lot of us look at it in in the first responder community is that nobody no I don't think anybody uh, knew uh, for sure that when FirstNet got stood up four to five years ago, they were going to go in the direction of contracting with an existing 
wireless carrier to create the public safety broadband network. Mm. I think the, the, the idea or the concept was this was going to be a public safety network that was going to be dedicated for public safety use, and somebody was going to basically build it, mm-hmm. build it that way. But as you know, time went by, I think the conclusion was that if you went that route, it would take longer and it would be expensive. And so if you wanted to bring uh, a true a, a network for public safety up and running right away, then the FirstNet board decided, well, hey, we will contract with an existing carrier because they have the network assets in place, and that will get us up, you know, that will mm-hmm. get service up and make it more available right away. What's the trade-off, of course, right? You know, I, I, and I do want to ask a little bit about the, uh, let's say, the applications that might run on a, a FirstNet network. want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with both General Logan and Everett Kanashige about disaster preparedness and, of course, the response with the FirstNet. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Locations, Nohea Gallery, and Straub Medical Center. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa, and we're talking to Major General Logan and Everett Kenishige about FirstNet. And, of course, right before the break, we're talking about building out this network uh, that AT&T has been sort of awarded. And, of course, it's a really interesting concept because it is an overlay on the existing commercial network, but it allows, in a time of a disaster, for the prioritization of disaster communications. And there will be some sort of special types of applications that might run on this FirstNet network. And maybe you can share a little bit about what you envision those types of applications being. Well, as a former police officer here in the city and county of Honolulu, I look at it as as a way for for public safety and and first responders. So uh, you look at applications such as uh, access to arrest records and and police all the things that police officers need to know, maybe firearms in a house and, and other entities. And from the fire department's point of view is who's in the house, who may be in the house, what kind of building it is. And as Everett said earlier, the plans of the building as they maneuver through. And then EMS, there are applications as to medical records and other things, all in a very secure and safe network that's uh, that's encrypted and designed against cyber attacks. And so you have access to those kinds of a- applications mm-hmm. and only available to the first responders on the first bro- first first net broadband network. Now, Everett, you uh, talked uh, – so the general talked about uh, secure. That's certainly important. But when you start to think about what's possible thanks to the interest and the driving force of consumer technology is the amount of bandwidth. Um, I would imagine in time of an emergency, you would also prioritize critical communications like that kind of database access. But certainly there seems to be great opportunity for things like video transmission. Yeah. Uh, what are the applications that you see that can take advantage of that wider bandwidth available with FirstNet? You know, I, I wish I could uh, look into the crystal ball and come up with all of those things. But, Ryan, I, I think, number one, video. Obviously, video has changed the Internet in so many ways, right? The number one use of the Internet is video. And we're talking right now primarily consumer video. But if you think, again, if you if you kind of look down to the future, things like real-time video uh, of an incident, whether it's surveillance video, aerial surveillance, whether it's video from cameras worn by public safety personnel as they 
uh, you know, walk around the site. And again, it's, you know, video, it's not just video, audio, right? Sometimes people will pick up a sound and they can hear something and that will help to locate somebody, you know, who is trapped in the rubble after an earthquake after an earthquake mm. and th- things again that you just don't you can't even fathom because sensors you know sensor data you know that sort of thing sure. um, that you know go beyond just our normal senses to help find people rescue people etc one of the things that i noticed in the last uh, tsunami scare in hawaii was more people and this happens each time more people want to hear directly from the institutions and the researchers that are making the determination rather than waiting for it to get passed down through media mainstream media and in fact what happened the last time was the mainstream media were saying all clear before the agency had said and they were everyone that i saw was like i'm going to wait until ema says it i'm not going to let you know rod anton tell me that or whatever. Do you see uh, first responders uh, taking more of a public information role directly thanks to this platform, say starting a Facebook live stream and getting the information directly out to the public? Well, you know, it's uh, that's probably something, it's a more of a policy question, I think, that we would have to defer to the first responders um, and, you know, how that, how they operate and, and the best way for keeping the public informed. But I did want to make that comment about social media, right? What we're finding in this day and age is social media in of itself becomes a powerful tool of communication. And so many things in terms of incident reporting and conditions, et cetera, it hits social media in a way that's much more immediate and impactful before it makes its way up the chain, you know, through the normal response chain. So let's take that, let's use that information that goes through social media, which is still a data stream, right, and add that into the aggregate you know, information gathering that first responders can use. So, General Logan, um, you you um, mentioned that there are people that will be able to access the first net, and obviously, the first responders will be able to access. Um, will there be others that would have the ability to get the okay to access into this this um, sort of you know once a disaster occurs into the first net? No, absolutely. The definition of first responder to us was one of the things we worked out with AT and T and FirstNet uh, once we started to do dialogue. And so it's not just police, fire, and EMS. It's also emergency management. It's uh, it's Department of Defense. It's also uh, federal agencies and other state agencies that have a role in, in disaster response or in consequence management. And so uh, there will be uh, people that have access to the, the AT&T FirstNet construct mm-hmm. who can build and put in other users and give them a allotted time, maybe a couple days a week or two weeks, and they have access into the FirstNet broadband network. Uh, uh, and that will be an additional charge or a subsequent charge to them um, through this network. And, and so the, the, the person who put, does the interface will be able to build that construct of who these uh, second and third responders, for lack of a better term, are, are involved. But you mentioned that there is a, there is a charge, to, just like with a commercial uh, data plan or something to that effect. So would you say, as an example, Red Cross could say, we want 30 devices on this network and we're going to pay for that for this incident? Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. So, you know, while ATT is building the network, the only cost to us in the state of Hawaii is the user fees that we would pay mm-hmm. or what we're paying now for access to whatever broadband or wireless system we're using. Mm-hmm. Now, when do you see, from a timetable standpoint, the first net actually going live? End of the year. 
And <coughs> in the at the end of the year, what would we expect to perhaps see? Okay. So I think what FirstNet has said, all of the services that we've talked about today that would be available on the AT&T network for first responders will be available. That was a very big selling point to all of the states as we evaluated whether to opt in to the FirstNet network. Um, I think the thing that you're going to see uh, develop gradually, frankly, is an expansion of the coverage. Um, That's obviously something that takes time to put in. Um, You'll also see that piece that everybody calls Band 14. It's an additional uh, amount of spectrum that is going to be made available for public safety first responders. General Logan, where can we find out more about uh, FirstNet? Well, firstnet.gov is a great source on the web that uh, could provide all the information that you need to know about FirstNet and and what it's going to do for our public safety uh, enterprise. Well, very good. Major General Logan is the Adjutant General for the State of Hawaii. And, of course, Everett Kanashige is the Statewide Interoperability Coordinator. Thank you both for joining us today. Aloha. Thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Please join us next week, and we're going to talk about the upcoming Schools of the Future conference. And, of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to email us at feedback at bitemarks.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at bitemarks. And I'm at Hawaii. Of course, you can find our show in the excellent HPR app for all platforms. Our engineer is David Chong, and you can catch us here every Wednesday on HPR One. And of course, stay safe, and we will see you back here for another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. Mm-hmm.